Welcome to the podcast of Selmore Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. To learn more about our church, please visit selmorebaptist.com. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Hebrews. We're going to be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Well, I want to thank Pastor Bill for filling in last week. Heard good things about the job that he did. He always does a good job. Uh, our family had a very good time of vacation, very restful, but it is good to be back. It's always good to be home. So let's jump right into our sermon this morning. We continue to make our way through the book of Hebrews, and I do anticipate that it'll take us most of the year to get through it, but we'll just keep chipping away at this book that really is a grand sermon exalting and lifting high the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's review as it's been a a couple weeks since we were in Hebrews. Last time we were together, we looked at the end of chapter four, which tells us that Jesus is our great high priest. As we know, the primary job of a priest is to mediate between man and God, to serve as the go-between. In the Old Testament, they had a human high priest who sacrificed animals to God to atone for the people's sins. However, in the New Testament era in which we live, we no longer need a human high priest to sacrifice animals on our behalf. Why? Because we have Jesus, the spotless lamb of God who gave himself as the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins on the cross. So that when we put our faith in him, His sacrifice pays the penalty for our sin and reconciles us to God so that we can spend eternity in heaven. In this way, Jesus is our great high priest. And not only is he our great high priest, but chapter 4 and verse 15 says that he can sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in all the same ways that we are. In other words, Jesus understands what it is to be human. When we talk to Jesus about our trials, about our temptations, he gets it. So we can come boldly before his throne in our time of need, knowing that he understands and that we will find mercy and grace to help in our time of need. How special is that? That's what we talked about last time. Today, as we begin chapter 5, we're going to continue in the same vein, and we're going to talk about the qualifications for being the high priest. Now, please bear in mind, the following is just an illustration. It's not meant to be a direct analogy of Jesus. But if you were hiring someone for a position, and they came in for an interview, one of your first questions would be, well, what are your qualifications Now, we're obviously not in the position of hiring Jesus, amen. Jesus is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. We don't sit in judgment of him. He judges us. Nevertheless, one could hypothetically pose the question, and, and I would argue this is what the author of Hebrews is doing in this text. One could hypothetically pose the question, is Jesus qualified to be our great high priest? Does he meet the criteria for that role? So today we're going to begin by looking at the qualifications for a human high priest way back in the Old Testament, and then we're going to take those same criteria and apply them to Jesus and see if he meets those as well. And if he does, then it follows that we must come to God through him, that salvation is through Jesus and him alone. 
But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Let's start by reading and see what we can learn about the human high priest in verses one through four. Here's what those verses say. It says, for every high priest taken from among men is appointed for men and things pertaining to God, that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can have compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray, since he himself is also subject to weakness. Because of this, he is required, as for the people, so also for himself, to offer sacrifices for sins. And no man takes this honor to himself, but he who is called by God, just as Aaron was. All right, in these four verses, we see three qualifications for a human high priest, a high priest taken from among men, as it says in verse one. So let's just start going through them. Ready? The first qualification is this. It says that he must be appointed. That is the word used in verse one. And then verse four elaborates on this further by referencing Aaron from the Old Testament. Aaron, as many of you know, was Moses's brother. Aaron was the very first high priest. Verse 4 says that the role of high priest is not an honor that one takes for himself, meaning that Aaron did not volunteer for that role. He didn't campaign for it. There was no special election for high priest. Aaron was appointed by God. And after he died, it was always Aaron's descendants who filled the role of high priest going forward. Again, it was a divine appointment by God. Now, it's interesting, from time to time, there were men who were not Aaron's descendants who took it upon themselves to do the high priest's job. This never pleased God, and it always ended in disaster. Korah was swallowed by the earth. Saul lost his throne. He got impatient waiting on the high priest and thought, well, I'll just do this myself. doesn't work that way. Uzziah was struck with leprosy. The lesson learned, only God's appointed may serve the role of priest, mediating between God and man. Everyone else is an imposter. Let's move on to the second qualification. The high priest must be empathetic toward his people. Verse 2 says that he has compassion on those who are ignorant and going astray. The Greek there literally means that he is moderate in his passions. The idea is that when the high priest made sacrifice on behalf of the people's sins, he didn't get overly angry with them. He addressed their sins, he made restitution for their sins, but he did so in a gentle manner. Why? The end of verse 2 tells us. It says because he himself, that priest in other words, was also subject to weakness. The high priest struggled with sin just like the people for whom he was making sacrifice. In fact, the high priest had to make a sacrifice for himself before he could make a sacrifice for the people. So he understood their struggle. He could identify. He could empathize with them. And that was an important part of his role. And can I just add this? I think there's a lot that we can learn from this approach in terms of how we deal with people in our life. Parents, I think there's a lot we can learn from this approach in terms of how we deal with our children. We must address sin, but we must do it gently. And we must do it with compassion, knowing that we too have sins that we struggle with. The third qualification is this. The high priest must be obedient to fulfill his duty. 
Verse 3 says that he is required to offer sacrifice for sin. Like any other job, the high priest had requirements that he must fulfill. And the biggest duty he had was to make sacrifice for the people's sins. A priest who did not fulfill his duty of making sacrifice for sin couldn't rightfully be called a priest at all. As we've said, that's what a priest does. He mediates between man and God. All right, so let's pause for a moment at this point and just recap very quickly. The qualifications for a human high priest in this passage were threefold. He must be appointed, he must be empathetic toward his people, and he must be obedient to fulfill his duties. Now, how do these three qualifications carry over to Jesus? We've already said that he is our great high priest. But according to the Old Testament criteria, is he qualified for that role? So let's keep reading and let's see what we can learn. Let's read now verses 5 through 8. It says, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he also says in, the, isn't, excuse me, in another place, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. All right, let's pause there and let's talk about these verses and what they mean. Let's go through these three criteria for a high priest, and let's see if Jesus is indeed qualified to serve in that role. So first, like Aaron in the Old Testament, is Jesus appointed to be our great high priest? The answer is yes. Verse 5 says that Christ did not glorify himself, to become high priest, but rather it was he, it was God who appointed him. To make this case, the writer of Hebrews quotes from two different Psalms. The first quotation is from Psalm 2, in which the Lord says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. This Psalm is clearly a reference to Jesus. As we've already said in this series, we know Jesus was not begotten in the sense that there was a point in time when he came into being, For the Bible teaches that Jesus has always been. He is eternal. But rather, begotten in this sense is a figure of speech, emphasizing Jesus' position of prominence and honor as the Son of God. When God the Father publicly declares that Jesus is his Son, such as he did in this psalm, such as he later did audibly at Jesus' baptism, he is in essence appointing him the role of great high priest, the role of mediator between God and man. The second quotation here, seen in verse 6, is from Psalm 110, stating that Jesus is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Well, what in the world does that mean? Who's Melchizedek? Well, Melchizedek was a priest in the Old Testament. And it's actually important that we familiarize ourselves with this man because he is mentioned frequently eight times over the course of the next two chapters of this book. If you know anything about Melchizedek, you know that his story is one of mystery, and it is one of intrigue. We are first introduced to him in Genesis chapter 14. 
In that passage, after Abraham defeats an enemy in battle, the king priest of ancient Jerusalem, a man named Melchizedek, brings Abraham bread and wine and blesses him in the name of the Most High God. Abraham then in return gives Melchizedek a tithe of the spoils of war. And incidentally, this is the first time that tithing is mentioned in the Bible. And then that's the last we ever see of Melchizedek in the scriptures. As suddenly as he appears, he departs. He's literally there for three verses. Now, based on that, one might think, well, he's a fairly inconsequential person in scripture until all of a sudden he's mentioned again in Psalm 110. And he's mentioned in that context as a predecessor and a shadow of Jesus Christ. And then he's mentioned, as I said, several times in the book of Hebrews in a similar light. So the reality is that there's something unique about Melchizedek that ties him to Christ. And we're going to talk more about that in weeks to come. He's a very fascinating figure. But for today, the important thing that we need to see is that just as Melchizedek was appointed priest over ancient Jerusalem, Jesus is appointed our great high priest. And the key word there in verse 6 is that Jesus is a priest forever. I can't read that word forever without thinking about the movie The Sandlot. Forever. Some of you know what I'm talking about there. But one of the interesting things we'll learn about Melchizedek in chapter 7 of this book is that it says he had no end of life. So in that sense, he is a priest forever. And the same is true for Jesus Christ. As we'll celebrate next Sunday, Jesus was raised from the dead. He was resurrected from the tomb. And even now he sits at the right hand of God, making intercession for us, performing his high priestly duties. Jesus too is not dead. He is our great high priest forever. So let's summarize this point. Does Jesus meet the criteria for a high priest of being appointed by God? Absolutely. Jesus didn't seek to glorify himself. Just like Melchizedek, Jesus was chosen. He was chosen by his father. So Jesus is qualified according to the first criteria. Are we all in agreement on that? We can't move forward until we are. So everybody's good? All right. Second point. Second qualification, is Jesus empathetic toward his people? I would argue yes, with a very important caveat, and that is this. The comparison breaks down just a little bit here. While Jesus can empathize with how difficult it is to be human in a fallen world, and even to be tempted, as we learned last time, it's important to note that Jesus never sinned. He never actually gave in to temptation. Remember, verse 2 said that a human priest could have compassion for his people because he himself was also subject to weakness. In other words, he too was a sinner. In contrast, Jesus never sinned. Uh, He is holy. He is completely without sin. Nevertheless, he can and does empathize with us in the trials and sufferings of life. And in this way, he is qualified to be our high priest. Now the example that the writer of Hebrews gives that corresponds to this point is that of Jesus praying in the garden of Gethsemane the night of his arrest and trial. 
Do you remember that story? Now, verse 7 doesn't come out and explicitly say that this is the scene it's describing, but virtually all commentators agree that when verse 7 talks about Jesus in the days of his flesh, meaning his earthly life, offering up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears, it's depicting Jesus in those excruciating moments of prayer in the garden. The Gospels tell us that in those moments, Jesus cried out to his father. Do you remember this? He said, if it is your will, please take this cup from me. Speaking there of the cross. He says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And the Bible says that he was in such agony at the thought of having to go to the cross and what lie ahead that his sweat became like great drops of blood. I doubt that any of us have ever been in such agony that we sweat blood But probably many of us have shed tears, we have lost sleep, we have even gotten physically ill because of trials that we're facing or trials with loved ones that they're facing. And here's the point, Jesus has been there and done that. He gets it. He knows how difficult and heartbreaking that it can be to be human in a fallen world, to be betrayed, to suffer to dread what's coming tomorrow. He can empathize with us in those things. And that's comforting to us. I love what it says at the end of verse seven when it says that Jesus was heard because of his godly fear. Never think that God doesn't hear the prayers of those who fear him. Crying out to him in agony. He does hear and he does care. Now that doesn't mean that he'll always answer your prayer the way that you want him to. For instance, Jesus prayed that if there was any way possible that the cup of the cross would be taken from him. And make no mistake, God could have done that. Verse 7 says that God was able to save him from death. But that was not God's will. And ultimately, Jesus submitted his will to the Father's. In like manner, there may be times that we cry out to the Father for him to take a certain action in our life. Or to cause something to happen or or cause something not to happen. And in his sovereignty, he simply says, no, that's not what I'm going to do. And we may not like that at the time, but we have to trust his plan. And we have to trust his heart. And we have to know that he is good. And above all, we have to know that he hears us and that he loves us. Well, back to the main point, Jesus can empathize with us in our trials He knows what it is to struggle. He knows what it is to cry out to God in agony of spirit. And this means that he absolutely does meet the second criteria of a high priest. Let's move on to the third qualification and see if Jesus meets that. Is Jesus obedient to fulfill his duties? Yes. Verse 8 says that Jesus learned obedience by the things that he suffered. The word suffered refers specifically to his suffering on the cross. It was through his suffering on the cross that Jesus carried out his duties as great high priest in making payment for our sin by offering himself as the atoning sacrifice. It was through his suffering on the cross that Jesus reconciled a people to God. If Jesus had merely come to this world and lived a good life and taught some good lessons and healed some people of sickness, he still would have been an amazing person, but he would not have been qualified to serve 
as our high priest. Remember, what makes a high priest is that he fulfills his duties to offer a sacrifice. What makes Jesus our high priest is that he came and fulfilled his priestly duty. He suffered on the cross as the ultimate sacrifice for our sin, reconciling us to God. As Philippians 2 says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even death on a cross. The notion of obedience is found here in verse 8 as well. It says that, and this is a really interesting statement, it says that Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Now, to be clear, that does not mean that Jesus was at one point disobedient, that he was disobedient and then he had to learn obedience because that would mean that he had sinned and we know he never did. In fact, Jesus was always obedient to the Father. But here's what that phrase does mean. It was at the cross where Jesus's obedience was most thoroughly tested and demonstrated. And in this sense, in his humanity, Jesus learned obedience, or you might say he came to a fuller understanding of obedience. It is no different for us, is it? It's oftentimes through suffering that God teaches us faithful obedience. But the key question is, was Jesus obedient to fulfill his duties? And the answer is unequivocally, yes. Jesus went to the cross and gave himself as the sacrifice for our sin, reconciling God and man. Praise his name. So what is our conclusion from these verses we've looked at? Does Jesus meet the requirements of great high priest? Yes. He is appointed. He is empathetic. He is obedient. He is perfectly qualified to be our great high priest. That's great news. So that leaves us with one more question. What's the significance of all this? What does this really mean to us? And to answer that, let's read our last section of verses, Hebrews chapter 5, verses 9 through 11. It says, And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. All right, here's the significance of all this that we've learned today. Are you ready? Jesus Christ, our great high priest, having been perfected through his sufferings and resurrection, grants eternal salvation to all who obey him. Did you catch that? Jesus eternally saves all who obey him. And you say, well, wait a second. I thought salvation came through faith, not through obedience. How do you reconcile those two things? Well, it's as simple as this. If you possess a true and living faith in the Lord Jesus, you will live a life of surrendered obedience. That's not to say that you'll be perfect. It's not to say you'll be sinless or that you won't backslide from time to time. But it is to say that the overall pattern and direction of your life will be one of striving to live for Jesus and all that you say and do. I would just ask you this morning, does that describe you? Do you want to please Jesus with your life? Is that a priority to you? Are you striving to obey him or is that an afterthought? Or even worse, is it a zero thought? If you're not obeying Jesus in how you live and you really don't care if you do or not, you better check your heart. You better check your salvation. 
Moving on, verse 10 once again connects the dots from Melchizedek to Jesus. In verse 11, the writer indicates that he has more he'd like to say about this connection. And he will as we go through this book. But for right now, he says it would be too hard to explain. Because, he says, you've become dull of hearing. The Greek word translated as dull in this verse actually means sluggish. It means slothful. The issue is not that the Hebrews are dumb, that they're not capable of understanding. That's not what dull means as it's used here. The issue is that they're lazy. That they're not putting forth the effort to know God and to understand his word. When I studied that this week, I was like, ooh, that hits close to home. (laughs) How much do we miss of what God wants to teach us because we're spiritually lazy? We're simply not putting forth the effort. Let's be students of God's word. Let's put forth the effort to seek God and to know him. Let's not be dull like the Hebrews, okay? And God will bless us for that. As we bring this to a close today, and we think about what we've learned, the good news is that Jesus is not only qualified to be our great high priest, as we've seen in our text, he invites everyone to come to God through him. All are welcome. The last chapter of the Bible says, whosoever will may come, may take the water of life freely. Jesus is the only one who can reconcile us to God. And so I would ask you today, won't you come to the Father through him? Won't you put your faith in Jesus and then live for him? a life of obedience. The Bible teaches that if we'll admit our sin, if we'll believe with all of our heart that Jesus died on the cross for us and rose from the dead, if we'll truly, genuinely commit our life to him, that Jesus will become our great high priest, that he will reconcile us to God and that he will give us eternal life. We wanna give you an opportunity to make a public commitment to Jesus. Here in just a moment, I'm gonna pray. And then after I pray, we're gonna have a song of response. And if you're here and you're ready to become a Christian, to become a follower of Christ, we would invite you to come to walk to me at the front of the room and just say, Josh, I'm ready to follow Jesus. I want him to be my great high priest and God will meet you here and he'll save you. If you're here and you're ready to follow the Lord in baptism or unite with this church in membership, or if you just wanna come and pray about anything going on in your life, that's what this time is for when we have our song of response. So let me lead us in prayer. Then after I pray, our musicians will come. God, thank you so much for this text. Thank you, Lord, for this word. This is deep stuff that we've looked at this morning. Um, But Lord, we thank you because we know that you have given us a perfect high priest, that we can come to you directly through your son, Jesus. Lord, if there's anyone here today who has never put their faith in him, I pray that they would do that before they leave this very morning. We ask it in Jesus' holy name, amen.